0: The Fundshack Private Capital Podcast is produced by Linear B Group, the leader in content, media, and podcasting services to the investment industry. Today, my guest on the Fundshack Podcast is Henry Freeman, a well-known commentator on both public and private investment markets. Henry's been an investment manager on the buy side, an institutional stockbroker, a fintech entrepreneur, a crowdfunder entrepreneur, a charity entrepreneur, and an investment trust board member. He's also the founder of a new service launching soon called the Fund Society, which we'll talk about. But we begin by looking at the opportunities and pitfalls of bringing private equity to the mass market. And I'm delighted to have him with us today and we're going to have a great conversation.
1: Thank you very much, Ross. Good to be with you.
0: What's your What's your interest in the private markets? Because you're you're really, for me, you're kind of coming from the, the public market side of things. Um, you're very familiar with that and yet always you've had a, an alternative investment Bent.
1: Yeah, uh, well, I mean, I've always been really interested in private equity, to be honest. Uh, I, I guess a bit of a nerd um, through university and and looking at the history of companies and, and how they evolve and you know the different stages they go through, whether it be the venture side. I, I started out as an investment manager, so I, I joined Lloyd's Private Bank initially and was a portfolio manager um, there and at Hill Samuel, which was part of the Lloyd's Group. And then I uh, moved on to a multi-manager firm and I established a new fund, where, which I could really put my interest in private equity to, to the fore. I was uh, established it. It was an open-ended fund, but it would invest in private equity plays that were listed on stock exchanges around the world. So when that, was this? This was, I think we launched it in 2004, 2005.
0: So that's quite early for uh, a public market private equity play.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So it would invest in, you know, the 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 London listed closed end investment trusts, you know, Three I or uh, HG Capital or you know any mm. uh, night. Had Capital. Blackstone
0: listed by that point? It was about that.
1: Blackstone then. was just going through, so we could also invest in asset managers, and Blackstone was was clearly one. KKR had had listed a. a a fund on the EuroNext exchange and Apollo uh, had done the same. So the big boys were 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 also looking at the, the listed world and the listed space. Um, and and so that's really where I I started to get a real interest for for private equity. But can I just ask why?
0: Yeah. Why did you why did you decide to set up an open ended fund for alternatives? It was not an obvious thing to do, particularly then.
1: It, you're right. I, I think private equity was starting to be or private assets was starting to be a little bit more talked about um the the group that i was working with for partners um they ran alternative hedge funds they had quite a big hedge fund business um i think we we had a bit of interest and aig was actually our cornerstone was was my cornerstone investor in that fund and i think they they needed to have an exposure to private equity, but it needed to be semi-liquid. And, mm. you know, this is where we, we find ourselves today uh, with with a lot of the talk about how how to structure these things, you know, the new LTAFs and LTIFs. And,
0: Why would an, and, an insurer need a semi-liquid vehicle? Uh, to be
1: honest, I couldn't tell you that. Uh, <laughs> you'd, you'd probably have to ask them. Yeah, yeah, sure. So they came on board and we, we raised money from other investors as well to... Went into the fund, um, and because we were investing in stock exchange listed companies, um, a lot of them big sized, we could get the liquidity. You know, we weren't yeah. promising daily liquidity because yeah. listed uh, investment company stocks are not necessarily the most liquid uh, mm-hmm. stocks on, on, on the market, but you can manage it. Yeah, it's a simple way is, of getting a
0: bit of liquidity in is absolutely. just to kind of make a little bit of a mash of private and public absolutely. assets. Right.
1: Okay. So I really enjoyed um, sort of putting that together and running it, and we ran it for, for three or four years. Unfortunately, in 2000 and eight AIG had a few other issues and, um, I heard about them. needed to, uh, <laughs> needed to basically get their hands on anything that was liquid. Um, and so, so we actually took that, that opportunity to wind the, wind the fund down because looking down the barrel of the gun in the start of 2008, things didn't look like they were going to be very pretty. And indeed they weren't, and things got a lot worse. So I think we did right by our investors. And, and actually I then I was a, obviously a client of quite a few of the institutional stock breaking houses in the city, and uh, and I went over to one of those. It was great fun. Liberum um, Liberum had just started itself really in two thousand and seven, so I was an early client, and then to go in and and help them build up the investment company's desk was was fantastic, and I I bought with me one of my colleagues from Forsyth to to help me on the research side and we built out a great franchise and and it was it was great fun coming out of you know 2009 through to 2012 coming out of the the great financial crisis it was a fantastic time for for picking absolutely blinding value in in the market and you know we're sort of seeing those sort of discounts in Mm. listed Private equity now.
0: Do any stick in your mind from that period?
1: Oh, yeah, I mean, you could be buying, cracking company. You could be buying uh, Oakley Capital on on sort of a forty percent discount. Actually, it's probably still a, it's it, it's around 30 percent now. So there's still huge value. You know, you could be buying any number of really really high quality managers and then if you if you looked at some of the other private asset classes or alternatives in that space you could be getting double if not triple discounts because you'd be you'd be investing at at the share price which would be at a discount to the net asset value and then if you looked across to sort of the CLOs um, there was a couple of CLO funds uh, at, at the time you know outstanding value triple discounts because the CLOs themselves were were marked down massively simply because no one wanted mm. to touch them. You could invest in in, in Apollo's uh, Euronex fund at, yeah, I think it was pretty much an eighty or ninety percent discount. You know, some clients did incredibly yeah. well out of, of those trades. Yeah. You know,
0: it was fill your boots time. It, right? it
1: really was. It really was. But
0: that was that was the old days when things were you know relatively opaque to the wider world, and everyone knows about private equity and the broader markets now. Yeah, they Couldn't do. happen again, could it?
1: Well, I mean, you look at that same sector now and actually you've had uh, discounts did narrow quite considerably. Um, You know, 3i went back to a premium. HG Capital went to a premium. You know, really good quality firms, uh, naturally where they should be trading. Mm. But, you know, through COVID uh, and, and out the other side, obviously inflation, going up interest rates going up it meant uh, uh again you know there was a bit of a flight out of risk assets and mm. And, mm. and the listed PE uh, listed fund sector generally you started seeing these discounts widen out again and there's still you know Huge value. I think there's there's some cracking value around. I've been picking up. It's quite nice not being mm. uh, not being employed by an investment bank now or an investment manager because it means I can just go straight in. I don't need to to fill in forms, etc. So I now live in Guernsey after 20 years in in London uh, on the investment management and investment banking side uh, to really go non-exec director and 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 take on a few other um, positions with managers with funds uh, and and help them with whatever challenges they've got and and so now in guernsey i i do i stay involved with private equity i sit on the board of um of guernsey's sort of sovereign wealth fund uh, the state's investment board and hmm. we've actually been sort of restructuring the fund uh, the funds uh, and and you know private assets are a key element that that we've been making sure that we are invested in Mm. properly and and so you know again to to be able to see what's going on in in the world of vc what's going on in buyout land and and you know it's it's a really interesting place to be guernsey itself um you know i'm a massive advocate for guernsey it's been great fun sort of moving there and, and building new life there and um It's uh, in itself, it's a huge hub for, for private equity on the operations side. It's a, it's, it's a go-to place for administration, for private equity fund administration. A lot of the, the bigger houses still have a presence there. And and just how Guernsey works with uh, first-time managers as well, you know, the, the different structures, the different sort of flavors of, of funds that you're, uh, and entities that you're able to establish. It, it, it's got everyone you need to to know in a very short, very small space. Literally, you can get everything set up for a for a fund launch in a in a very short amount of time. It's uh, it, it really it's quite a fresh um, approach can, compared to you know the bureau, bureaucracy that you can go through in other jurisdictions. Um, so it's 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 what, great, what
0: underlies that lack of bureaucracy is, is it is it the regulatory uh, environment I mean, or is it more a
1: cultural thing? It's actually very well and highly regulated. Um, I think it's more it's people driven. It's it's a small place, mm. so a small island, um, and so everyone knows each other. Mm. You know, it is very as I say, it's very easy to yeah, yeah, connect yeah, yeah. Mm. with whoever you need to see. Mm. There's nowhere else you can really do that, so I I, I give up my time and sit on um, the key for the Guernsey Investment and Funds Association, the sort of the trade body for for industry uh, as well, and very proud and, and pleased to be working with Guernsey Finance, which is the promotional agency for um, for Guernsey. Yeah.
0: And so that does that almost bring us up to date?
1: Uh, I guess the one thing that <laughs> the other thing I've always got a little bit of an entrepreneurial. Um, uh, i've always got a few ideas bubbling and one of the the ideas that i uh, am currently working on which we're launching uh very shortly is the fund society and actually again it's it's all about connecting dots it's, it's a, an online hub for investment professionals we're doing a lot with uh with with private wealth markets as well um and it's really enabling institutions fund managers uh to to get their thought leadership intelligence based content that is often you know very relevant for much longer periods of time we we help them to to get a longer life out of that sort of content um and we are connecting investment professionals no matter sort of where they sit um so that they, they they've got Today, industry news uh, as well as a, a brief bit of market news. We're certainly not trying to replicate what Bloomberg does or or the FT. And indeed, we're, we're working with um, news organisations, uh, sources to to bring a curated news aggregator. So again, high quality investment writing um, together with proper intelligence based content. Uh, and so yeah, we're, we're we're launching that very shortly
0: you covered so much. I want to go back to the start and talk about some themes that have come out of your very varied career. Um, and so one of the really obvious themes, and it's at the front of mind of so much of my audience, the democratisation of private equity, the retailization, yeah. both of which are very unsatisfactory terms because it's it's neither of those things really. It's more just increasing the access to private equity returns for ever more, ever smaller investors. It's more like a fractionalization yeah. of private equity, which is what I might call it. Um, and so this is this is also it's like the holy grail of private equity investor relations. It's not really investor relations either, really. It's more like investor acquisition mm-hmm. of a whole new market. And if it can be done well, then it changes everything and, yeah. and there's and there's a whole new world of growth ahead. I
1: do really think the next big push the the next big influx of capital into private assets is going to come from private wealth. There is absolutely every reason why private wealth should be able to access uh, and invest in private markets. The issue that they've all had to date is one of liquidity because they manage portfolios on behalf of uh, their clients. You know that's where I came from. I was a, a initially started out at, at, at Lloyd's and Hill Samuel as a private client investment manager, so I know that market very well, and I know the stresses uh, that that the managers mm. need to need mm. to bear, and you know clients, you know may well want to cash out some of their portfolios so they can help uh, mm. a one of their their children buy a. get a deposit or or whatever it might be, um, get on the housing ladder or, you know, there's always going to be calls for the the capital and you don't know necessarily when it's going to come in. And that's been the issue for uh, private client investment managers to date is they can't commit. And that's what these GPLP funds are. It's a commitment. You commit your capital and it gets drawn as and when it's needed by the the PE firm to invest?
0: This is the real bugbear. This is the thing that really uh, everyone's trying to structure their way around. But to some degree, I think it's zero sum. Mm. And the reason for that is that my view of the the success of private equity is that it is all pretty much 100% about commitment. And anything you do to water that down will water down the proposition as a whole. And so you have firsthand experience, so I'm not denying that you're, you're under constant pressure for capital calls. But we kind of assume that people want like immediacy, like everyone's got ADHD. Our society mm-hmm. can't stop you know, fiddling with things and buying and selling. But if you look at people's lives, that's not actually how they behave. So um, people get married. And in fact, the more money they have, the more likely it is they get married. They deliberately remove their life options because they know that that kind of commitment is good for the long term and and yet we seem to make this assumption that they're incapable of committing when it comes to their mm. to their finances or even just part of their part of their finances and I think that might be <clears throat> excuse me looking down the wrong end of the telescope the commitment element of private equity isn't a bug it's a feature it's a selling point yeah and I think if you could if we could just reframe private equity and stop talking about private and maybe even equity and talking about commitment as a selling point yeah. then maybe a lot of these structural issues just just fall away is that really, is this
1: that... a great it's a, a really well uh, enunciated oh, yeah. sort of overview no, of it no, no. I, I, I that really does chime through mm-hmm. i think on that point you know i i do think yes you need to have a i think private wealth private managers they would be willing to commit and and the underlying clients are willing to commit and that's part of why actually there is an increasing interest in private wealth investing in Mm. private assets Uh, but they just need something that will enable them Mm. if worst comes to the worst or they absolutely have to take their money out they need to have some sort of mechanism I really think the opportunity is with current structures, whether it's um, almost tokenizing the documentation so that it is a straight-through process, straightforward process to transfer one LP interest to another that actually effectively would be held in nominee by the, the private client investment manager or the private bank. Yeah,
0: the lawyers um, won't
1: like that. I talked to quite a few lawyers, obviously, in Guernsey, and they are supportive of of some of this and i think it will happen this mm. is absolutely the way forward i think
0: but, but aside from the administrative um challenge there's the there's the fundamental uh mismatch yeah so, mismatch.
1: so the time horizon mismatch this is where the the concept for LTIFs and ltafs the open open endization of private equity i mean the fca and the treasury have have been quite supportive of of LTIFs. LTAFs because they uh, they want to see, you know, pension schemes being, DC pension schemes being able to invest more readily and get exposure, allocate to private assets. You know, part of that is, has got to be because you get more investment into infrastructure. It takes a bit of a weight off government. Uh, to to spend on infrastructure if you've got private capital coming. So I absolutely see see benefits uh, of it, but the structure of the LTAF being open-ended, I just feel it's not it's not the best structure when we actually already have closed-end fund structures whether they whether they're, you know, the the closed-end GPLP um with a more fluid administrative secondary yep. market for them. Or indeed, you know the the, private, the London listed private equity investment trusts
0: and similar um, across the continent in investment companies. The so, issue
1: is, you know, liquidity in that market and discounts, but, and and that has turned, I think, quite a few managers off. And I, I think, to be honest, uh, uh, there's a there's a lot of financial advisors or or DC pension scheme managers that don't because they don't they only play in the open-ended fund world they don't really they're not so aware of of the listed fund world the closed-end listed fund world
0: that seems kind of crazy to me because we're going to all of these ends to ensure that let's say a defined contribution scheme can get access to private equity style returns they already can but they're they just not familiar with it. And so we're going to create a suboptimal vehicle yeah. that has real risk, that has presumably huge cash drag, which defeats the purpose in
1: the... So um, we haven't gone into the why, in my opinion, the the, the, the open end of the LTAF is suboptimal, but it it's exactly that. You've got a liquidity mismatch. So, you know, these vehicles will be offering, whether it's quarterly or six-monthly or even annual um, redemptions, I mean, that's it's fine, but a manager still has to sell assets if they get a lot of redemptions at the same time. Now, yeah, I, I certainly don't think the, the groups that are interested in this space and are, are, are setting funds up at, at the moment have got no worries or qualms about some of those names. They are all good names that understand the issues as well. It's when they become more of a retail product and they become marketed directly Mm. to retail, small retail, who won't necessarily. They'll be sold, as you say, investment, uh, private equity style returns. Well, what is a private equity style return? The IRRs, which private equity market themselves on at the moment, quite rightly, are based on when capital is, is called hmm. and the investment period that it's held for and, you know, it gets sold. So you're not getting the cash drag. And with an open-ended fund, you put all of your cash in straight away. Uh, that's, you know, that's that's fine if it's fully invested. But even then, I think that the LTAF is required to have a cash buffer. So, you know, 10 15 20% needs to be in cash or more cash equivalents, liquid equivalents. So this is so the So immediately you're getting yeah diluted returns.
0: This is the you've... opposite of what an institution would do. They'd Absolutely. overcommit in order to hit their targets. Absolutely. Here it's a deliberate strategy of undercommitting.
1: In the uh, exactly. Uh, and then the other side is as I say, you know, if managers are being hit by redemptions, yes, again, they have the ability to to gate. So up to 5% of the fund can be redeemed at, you know, one redemption cycle. So you'll only get a certain amount of your cash back. So, again, there's a bit of uncertainty for retail if Mm. actually they are wanting liquidity. What it also does is, you know, ultimately the manager will need to sell assets if you're in a difficult market condition, you know, take the last couple of years, you're going to have to be selling assets which are the most marketable, which probably the ones that you really want to hang on to rather than sell, which ultimately means that if you get hit by redemptions and you know, over a two or three year period, however long it, it is, and a bunch of investors leave, but your loyal investors are left with a bit of a, a rump portfolio. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. the managers have had to sell down
0: well, this did. is what happened to Woodford, really, isn't it? Yeah, I to mean, some that, degree it is
1: absolutely yeah. it, it is.
0: It's for our international listeners. Neil Woodford was a active fund manager with an open ended fund, celebrity really, who started investing in um in private companies and quite small kind yeah. of tech ones as well, and ran into this mismatch problem and. Was a big, and this is the real problem. I think it's like you say, like the names that are looking at it now, their quality, but as soon as you get a kind of a government endorsed structure like this that can be taken down to the lowest common denominator, it only takes one
1: yeah.
0: fund to hit the headlines for the entire industry and structure to be discredited.
1: That's my fear. That is my fear. I, I certainly don't think, as I say, the, the groups, the managers that are, are, are moving in or early stage moving into. This, these structures at the moment I'm not too worried about it's mm. when yeah. it becomes more of a mass market yeah. Yeah. opportunity which generally happens after there's been success and and you know unfortunately the little guys that come to the party late when all the big guys are leaving yeah. Yeah. They're, they're the ones that get hurt and that's where I see potential for you know, mis-selling scandals because if they're being sold, private equity style returns. What is a private equity style
0: return? Yeah, yeah. And so on the investment trust investment company side, it, to me this seems like the perfect and most logical solution to this problem. I mentioned that to Jim Strang, who's I think currently the chairman of HG Capital Trust. So he's a fan of them, but his uh, he said the problem, and this is not to do his point justice, but I'm not as smart as him, so I'm just going to have to go with it. I think he said the problem with that structure. Is that it's just not as scalable. You can't mm. scale as quickly as you can with like a, an open-ended vehicle. And I'm sure that's true, but um, it, it's like they're not as immediately scalable. But over time, there is no upper limit to, let's say, how many investment trusts you could launch. I mean, when was the last listed private equity investment trust IPO? I mean, it's not like we're inundated with them. And so if, if pension fund trustees went for this structure... There is really no upper limit to how many you could have is there no
1: you're right a share a, a, a stock is only as liquid as yeah you, know, you it's a market so you need buyers and sellers and if there's more buyers than there are sellers the price goes up obviously and if there's more sellers the price goes down and and you know that is that price is different from the net asset value the the true worth of the portfolio uh, and so that's
0: but again, I would say that that is a feature, not a bug. The fact that it can disconnect from from its, from yeah. its effectively book uh, value—that's a great thing, and it's something that analysts fixate on. But for me, as a shareholder, as long as the share price is going up, I don't care where it sits. In fact, it gives me comfort that it trades at a discount. This is this is not a problem.
1: The issue is is liquidity and the right. depth of the markets. But liquidity Barns is just the, a function
0: of popularity, well, it, it, so you're it's, right, kind of, it's
1: you're a chicken right. or egg problem, you're, isn't it? You're absolutely right. You know, I mean, well, Harbourvest Global Private Equity Fund, it's FTSE 250, it's a big multi billion dollar fund, but it doesn't trade that much relative to to its size. It would be the perfect vehicle for a lot of these sort of DC pension schemes to to come in and out of. But again, I think because the current volumes aren't.
0: Yeah, no one wants you know, to be first.
1: They don't want to be first. They don't want to get caught. And we're trading at 40 percent discounts now, as we were sort of, well, yeah. getting on for ten years it's ago, crazy, twelve years where ago. Where else
0: could you pick up that kind of discount? Absolutely. These structural issues. I kind of feel if everyone just did their job properly and with a backbone, yeah, then. A lot of it, it, it,
1: it's so, it's interesting. So I um I was at a a Kirkland and Ellis private equity conference. Uh, recently, and um, they had the secondaries teams from Collar Capital and Harbour Vest and Lexington, sort of the three big big players in LP secondary markets, and uh, and I did talk to them about, you know, generally the discounts that they're buying LP stakes up for is at sort of eight ten percent. 12% discounts to net assets and saying, God, why aren't you looking at the listed space? And they actually, you know, did a, a, a few years ago. So collar capsule bought out, I think it was a SVG and Harbor vest bought out another London listed converses capital. So, but they want to take pretty much the whole thing. They also don't want to, and probably quite rightly, they don't want to ruffle feathers and, and be too activist or, you know, put, it's a small industry, and they don't want to put noses out of joint, and they want to do things mm. uh, as a solution to mm. to to investors. Uh, again, to a certain extent, you know, they're, ra- they're 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 running and raising huge funds. I mean, I think Lexington's current secondaries fund is it's huge. It's it's many 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 billions. Yeah. and so actually, to invest in a you know. Take a small stake in a in a couple yeah. of billion dollar funds.
0: You've got to take the market as you find it, don't you? And that's yeah, yeah. that's one of the larger yeah. ones. You yeah.
1: know, you obviously you've mm. got much smaller ones down the scale, but you know there are absolutely blinding pockets of value. Okay. So yeah, it, we've got we've got the structures whether whether it's GPLP with a better secondary secondary market mechanism, and we've got closed end funds which you could put. You know, more structured exits, and you know, maybe that would help to to close discounts, and you know, you simply raise a new fund when it yeah. when it comes time. Or I, so I just feel the the open ended vehicles, which are increasingly coming to market, I'm wary of because of the the liquidity mismatch, because of the potential for mis-selling. Uh, and, and you know, the the type of returns that you
0: can actually potentially get. Changing tack completely, I want to talk about the Fund Society, which it just occurs to me is quite a similar name to Fund Shack, but a bit more serious. Um. <laughs> I,
1: I don't know. It's, I know. I, I mean, actually, the Fund Society, uh, so online hub for investment professionals um, delivering intelligence-based content, thought leadership, but with a witty, pithy edge. Uh, and news aggregation. So I think that, that that's also important. It's where you can come for your industry download. What's going on in industry? What's going on in in markets? We're not, as I say, we're not going to get into the weeds of, of of everything. And it's more thematic. It's you... more much more thematic. Um, sort of bigger picture.
0: What's the persona of a of a, a user?
1: investment professionals I think we're we're probably going to be um, more focused initially on private wealth markets fund buyers obviously uh, and really really able to connect to fund managers across asset classes um you know we've talked a lot about private wealth coming into private assets and I see our our one of our raising and certainly in the nearer term is to really bring investment advisors investment managers, up to speed with what private equity or private asset investing is, how how to do it properly, and that's the thought leadership stuff. That's the intelligence base, and that's why we we want to work with, um, with 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 the great houses, private equity houses, private credit houses, to to really educate and help get the message across to, um. Their potential clients,
0: and so what's the model? You can you read it for free, but you have to pay to so see yeah, it. So yeah,
1: free free membership for users. Um, the model is a subscription for our corporate partners that we we are helping on the the thought leadership intelligence based content delivery, and we're using AI and and large language models to really so that we can ensure relevant thought leadership material comes up when it is newsworthy when something else is trending in the news or markets or you know something's just happened over here something that was written 3 months ago on you know use of mezzanine debt or you know use of uh, private credit markets sort of or or you know how how does how does the VC world look in comparison to the buyout market you know what's going on we can re-elevate those stories mm. depending on what's topical and actually happening today in the news. You know, something...
0: Yes, and you can have... search for it as well, presumably. Exactly,
1: through... very yeah. searchable. Yeah. Um,
0: and so it's curated content and it's, it's self-selected good content because if you're paying for a subscription, you only want to send in your best stuff, is that right?
1: Absolutely. So uh, it, it's up to the, the the our corporate partners, we can help them pick and choose which bits of content they and there's different tiers as well so if you've got a daily note that actually you really want to get out in front of people and you know it's saying what's what's going on it's a very short you know daily notes generally tend to be quite short and very easily readable in five minutes um so we've got a service for that uh, and then a, a separate subscription you know if you're just putting out one piece a week or Mm. you know a couple Mm. of pieces a month we also want to be democratic actually for smaller boutiques uh newer firms that maybe don't have the the marketing budgets that some of the larger houses have so we've devised a, a a subscription level partner level for those houses as well so we really want to, and that was one of the things that that I, I did. I used to sit on the uh, ratings committee for, for Scythe ABSR. And and one of the things that was great was it was very democratic. So we'd have the boutiques, the uh, boutique investment managers, that had cracking investment products, and we'd be able to put them on exactly the same level mm. as the big guys. And, you know, i personally think that's really important to oh, keep yeah. entrepreneurial spirit
0: yeah there's important. no monopoly on insight exactly. and it's exactly. great if you can level the playing field somehow so my company linear b group we're a content marketing agency we do a lot of we work with a lot of firms in this area on producing content like this and one of the i guess the frustrating things is that you know bill gates famously said famously said content is king but i don't believe that's tr- true i think content is everything but distribution is king. And you can spend a lot of time and effort on a great thought piece. And within 10 minutes, it gets buried. Yeah. And so we spend most of our time actually on advising on distribution. And this, for me, sounds like a very good way of, well, you know, curating that and making sure people yeah. can find it when they want it.
1: I mean, that actually is exactly why we've set it up. Because LinkedIn and social media is fantastic for getting stuff out there and, you know, being in the news feeds. and But as you say, these high-quality thought leadership pieces or intelligence-based content pieces, educational pieces, really, they are all important, but they go out on LinkedIn. And as you say, 10 minutes later, if you're not lo- logged mm. on your LinkedIn feed when it goes out, you've missed it. And so I think houses, uh have a really tough time of it because it these pieces and actually i think there's a there's a stat that i refer to 90% of um investment houses use thought leadership pieces a similar statistic of uh in the institutional world of institutional fund managers uh, pension fund managers also say they would not invest without sort of the the depth of intelligence based content that that's how they find and seek out good managers to work with as well uh and so it's a really important part of of hmm. the investment process but we're starting to lose it because social media is just so noisy hmm. and so what we want to do what we're doing with the Fund society is we're we're breaking that down uh, and we're basically siloing out the longer term thought leadership intelligence based stuff which has a longer life and we're 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 bringing it back to the top when it's newsworthy it's always searchable as you say um and it just it gets a better return on investment to be honest for for the for the fund managers for the house um but it also ensures that our our members are able to easily find the intelligent content that they need to 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 help them be better managers themselves and better investors themselves. So that's really what it's about. Um, and you know, we've got some some interesting stuff going on there as well. So podcasts, and you know, this is one of the the key media now of how people are getting their thought leadership, their intelligence based. Um, stuff we we so we use yeah ai large language models to to take transcripts of podcasts we tag them just like the written stuff and then we're able to to bring the podcast right up because again you know where do you start
0: with podcasts podcasts? are notoriously difficult to find the the search function on say apple it's it's dreadful and so again if yeah if you if you're not there, when it pops into your feed, it's it's gone. So
1: That's it. It's uh, When are you launching? So we're launching Q2 uh, this yep. year, 2024. And where can people find it? Thefundsociety.com. That'll Google fundsociety.com Yeah,
0: yeah. I wonder if there's another phase to it, which is um, uh, of interest as readers from the buy side. So in private equity firms, for example, you've got um, deal originators and they're all looking for an angle. And, he, you know, I was speaking to a deal originator the other day and he says he reads The Economist from cover to cover each each week. He's probably the only wow. one in his little yeah. firm that does that. But it's like he's looking for a, an angle and a theme in yeah. the wider world that provides some inspiration. And you've got all these investment bankers, banks with huge research teams putting out interesting stuff to their clients. And then it, and then it goes out yeah. of the inbox. And so actually I could see that it's potentially just yeah. to both sides.
1: So absolutely. One of the the sort of add-ons you get as a as a partner subscriber um, working with institutions is our analytics that we're able to provide to them based on what members are, are looking at what they're doing what they're what they're interested in and I think you know, at the moment it is much more read-only initially yeah. at launch but our intention is to make it more of a community so that well, Users will be able to to comment and share members, I should say, will be able to comment and share, you know, stories and, and content with with their friends, etc. And we're using LinkedIn actually very complementarily. So our members will will be able to just register one click with their LinkedIn profile. So things are it, it, it's it's going to be seamless. But yeah, I I think um, there's there's a huge opportunity for. Ensuring that how investment houses are able to understand actually what investors are looking for, so it's it's very definitely a a
0: community that we want to build. Great. Well, I look forward to uh, logging on when you go live and uh, checking it all out. Best of luck with it, Henry. Brilliant. And thanks Thank so, so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Fund Shack Podcast. It's the private capital channel for alternative investment professionals. This podcast was designed and produced by Linear B Group, a leading content marketing agency focused on financial and professional services. Thanks for listening.